Then we're going to read from a couple other translations. The two translations, this is NIV, and then the next one is going to be the Passion Translation. Anybody have the Passion? I know Sharon does. I know Rachel does. Okay, Passion Translation is pretty new. Um, it's kind of like the Message Bible, but it's great. It's really, really good. It pulls a lot from the Aramaic, which is fun. Um, and then we're also going to read from my very favorite, which is the Kingdom Translation by N.T. Wright. And I still, I just can't get enough of it. It's my favorite New Testament translation. Um, so we're going to really dig in there. Are we ready? Okay. Father, we just thank you. I'm asking that you would come and just flow through the word of God and open minds, open hearts, help us to see and hear everything you have for us. We want your perspective on these giftings that you gave to everybody and help us to wake up in our hearts and to see what you've given to each person and what you intend to do with those things. Help us, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. All righty, so big picture um, for this today. We're not actually talking about any one specific gifting today. Today is all about big picture of why in the world did Jesus give us these gifts and what was his intention with these gifts, okay? So that's what we're going for. Um, first, we're going to start with some context of Ephesians um, because we all know, according to Joseph Prince, that the uh, text without the context is just a con, there you go, okay? So we need some context on Ephesians. Um, let's start by reading the passage here in just a second. Um, Ephesians was written by Paul. It was in around 60 to 62 AD when he was in prison. He'd already done his three missionary tours. He's already planted a lot of churches all over the place, and now he's been imprisoned for his faith. And so while he's in prison... Um, he's going to write Colossians, Philemon, Ephesians, and Philippians. He's already written to the Thessalonians, Corinthians, Galatians, and Romans, okay? And so this letter was written to strengthen the church in and around Ephesus, and it's believed um, it wasn't written only to the church in Ephesus because in many of the early manuscripts in the Greek, the word Ephesus is actually not in this letter, Okay, so it's believed that it was sent to the area for as like a large letter for everybody in this region to soak in and to impart into themselves, which I love that piece of the puzzle, because when it's very directly to a specific region or specific people, it can be a little bit limiting at times. But this letter from Paul was to the church, to everybody, not just to a couple people. All right. Ephesus in the day, it was a powerhouse. Um, it, was, it had one of the seven wonders of the world, the Temple of Diana. And it was a huge, powerful city. It was a big trade city. It, raise your hand if you've heard of the Silk Road, the trade route from China, started in Asia. Well, it literally ended in Ephesus. So it started in Asia, and it stopped in Ephesus. So you had world travelers coming to this place consistently time and time and time again. And they were also come from all over the world to see the Temple of Diana because it was claimed that the Temple of Diana, the, the statue of Diana, fell from the heavens, okay? And we believe that it was probably just a meteorite that came, and then they turned into a statue of her. But they, they claimed that this statue had tremendous power. And the way to experience more of Diana's power in your life was to have physical intimacy with her prostitute priests. So the whole city from, with, filled with people from all over the world would come and they would meet with the prostitute priests 
and they would have intimacy so that they could experience more of Diana's power, this goddess who fell from the skies. So it was a very immoral place. It was a wicked place. It was gross. And in that place, you have the believers who are rising up as pure, mighty, powerful men and women who are experiencing the power of Christ firsthand, seeing healings and people being raised from the dead, most likely is my guess. They've already seen it in, in several other places. And uh, the church is thriving there. So that's, that's the context. That's what's being written to. Um, you're going to note that as Paul talks about Jesus, he explains, and he kind of double explains, Jesus himself came from heaven, just like the goddess Diana, but also he ascended. Not only did he come down, but he ascended back into heaven. And that specifically, in my mind, is him pointing out to this region, there's a big difference between Diana and Jesus Christ himself. All right? What I love about the context of this is that Paul is teaching the body of Christ at large about the gifts that Jesus gave out. Paul was not writing to the big church leaders of Jerusalem. Specifically in, in Ephesians chapter 4, we talk about the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. This was not a little letter to Peter, the apostle, in Jerusalem. This was not a letter to the church elders, wherever they were at the time. This was a broad letter to men and to women and to the poor and to slaves and to everybody. Everybody was supposed to catch that these gifts were given to all. Can I get an Amen. All right, so now we're going to read in Ephesians chapter 4. Um, I apologize because it's going to be really small when the time comes. But for now, you can look at your phone on the NIV, and then you're going to need to look up there for the next two. NIV says, verse 4 of chapter 4 of Ephesians, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all, but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Verse 8, this is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives, and he gave gifts to his people. And what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill all the universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of the people in their deceitful scheming. Verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its own work. Amen? All right, so you're familiar somewhat, hopefully, with those words. Now let's kind of shake it up a little bit with the Passion Translation. So we're going to look up here. And if you're in the back, I apologize because you probably can't read it. Um, but here we go. The Passion Translation, Ephesus 4, verses 7 through 16. And he is the perfect father who leads us all. He works through us all and lives in us all. And he has generously given each one of us supernatural grace 
according to the size of the gift of Christ. This is why he says he ascends into the heavenly heights, taking his many captured ones with him, leading them in triumphant procession, and gifts were given to men. Having first descended into hell, he ascended triumphantly into the heights of heaven to begin the restoration and fulfillment of all things. And he has appointed some with grace to be apostles, and some with grace to be prophets, and some with grace to be evangelists, and some with grace to be pastors, and some with grace to be teachers. And their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own works of ministry. And as they do this, they will enlarge and build up the body of Christ. These grace ministries will function until we all attain oneness in the faith. Until we all experience the fullness of what it means to know the Son of God. And finally, we become one perfect man with the full dimensions of spiritual maturity and fully developed in the abundance of Christ. Amen. Do you like some of the the little intricacies? I love it. I love it. Go back one slide. I love this piece that uh, he gives it so that everybody can do their part. Did you all catch that? All right, let's go to the kingdom translation. My favorite. Um, Kingdom translation, verse 4 through 16. It says, there is one body and one spirit. And you, after all, you were called to one hope which goes with your call. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. But grace was given to each one, say each one, of us according to the measure, say measure, the king used when he was distributing gifts. And that's why it says when he went up on high, he led bondage itself into bondage, and he gave gifts to people. And when it says here that he went up, What this means is that he also came down into the lower place. That is the earth. The one who came down is also the one who went up, yes, above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. Verse 11, so these were the gifts that he gave. Some were to be apostles, others prophets, others evangelists, and others pastors and teachers. Their job is to give God's people the equipment they need for their work of service. Pay attention. Their job is to give God's people the equipment that they need for their work of service. I love that. And so to build up the king's body. The purpose of this is that we should all reach unity in our belief and loyalty and in knowing God's son. Then we shall reach the stature of the, of the mature man measured by the standards of the king's fullness. As a result, we won't be babies any longer. Say hallelujah. Say no more poopy diapers. We won't be thrown this way and that way by a stormy sea, blown about every gust of teaching by human tricksters, by their cunning and deceitful scheming. Instead, we must speak the truth in love and so grow up in everything into him. That is, into the king who is the head. He supplied the growth that the whole body needs. Linked As it is, and held together by every joint which supports it, which each member doing its own proper work. And then the body builds itself up in love. Amen? Gosh, I love it. We could just end there. What else do we need? This is so good. All right, so um, now we're going to jump into some things that stick out to me, okay? 
uh, we're going to go off of that last scripture. So, Rachel, you can go back a couple if you want um, to the beginning there. But one thing that sticks out to me right off the bat is one body. Say one body. We are all a part of one body. We're, we have many little tiny parts of the body. Maybe I'm a little tiny fingernail or a cell of a fingernail, but we are all a part of his body, and he is the head. It's his thoughts that direct the whole body of Christ at large. Amen? 1 Peter 2.5 in the NIV says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. All right, so also in another way, you are like a living stone. You're a living brick. And Jesus is looking around his body, and he's looking for the right piece at the right time to put in the right spot. So if you've ever built anything in your whole life, raise your hand, everybody. Okay, you've built a house, you've built a car, you've built a Lego. I don't care. If you've ever built anything, you know that there's specific moments when you are looking for just the perfect piece. And without different pieces, you are hopeless. You cannot build what you're hoping to build. Am I right? So Jesus looks down at his body at large and he sees each and every single one of you as a unique and special piece that he needs. And at the certain time, he's going to call you up. And he's hoping that in that moment, you are strong enough and capable enough to handle the weight that he wants to put on you. Because he has a dream for your life that fits into the bigger picture of his house and his body at large. Amen? All right, so the next thing that stands out, grace and gifts were given to each one. Say each one. Let's just stop there. Each one. Grace was not only given to some to be apostles and, and evangelists and prophets and teachers. For some, not just the big shots, not just the big wigs, but grace was given to all. Grace was given to all mankind. And what I find fascinating is that this was not only a grace given to believers at the time. It wasn't just for the followers at the time. This was something that Jesus gave to all mankind Believers and non-believers, he put it inside of our DNA. It's inside of you from birth. He put this gift inside of you. And why? Because it's for the church. It's for his body to be built up, right? So why would he give it to unbelievers? I think because he anticipates everybody coming to know his love, everybody coming to know his goodness and his, and his kindness. Unfortunately, that's not the case. But that's in his heart is that all should know. And so because he gave it to all and not just some believers, there are apostles in the workplace who are pagans. There are evangelists in the business world who have nothing to do with Jesus, but they're functioning out of the gift that Jesus Christ himself gave to them and the measure that he gave to them. Steve Jobs was an apostle with a tremendous measure. And I heard the most sad story. I don't know if it's true, so... Forgive me if this is a total lie. <laughs> but the story that we heard just this last week was that when he was a young man, Steve Jobs had a dream. Am I saying this right? A dream or vision? An open vision of the technology that he created. He didn't have a clue what to do with this open vision. And he went to the local church where he was and said, what is this? I think God is talking to me. And they said, that doesn't happen anymore. Maybe the Buddhist monks can do that because they have trances. Okay. A friend, thank you very much. So a friend suggested the Buddhist monks. And guess what? He became a Buddhist. 
He used his Jesus-given apostolic gifting to bring to the world what was in the heart of God, I believe. But it was misguided because the church totally missed it, right? But that's why you see these gifts operating kind of all over the place. So he gave it to all. And then the next piece is he gave it according to the measure that the king was using when he gave out these gifts, okay? So Jesus gave all five of these gifts. He put this DNA into every single person. He put all five gifts, the the full DNA of himself. Basically what he's doing is he's taking a strand of his DNA and he's dividing it out amongst the body of Christ. But I think he gives it all five gifts to every single person and then he gives a measure of specific gifts to each person out of that. So this is my understanding is that all of you have the DNA of Christ inside of you to be apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. But Jesus picked and he sat and he thought and he measured how much of each gifting to give each one of you because he has a specific gift mix that only you can fulfill on the earth. So some of you have a a greater measure of being an apostolic person. Some of you have a greater measure of being prophetic. Some of you have a greater measure of being an evangelist or pastor or teacher. But they were well thought out and measured by Jesus Christ himself, and then he gave it to each one. How cool is that? I love that. Jesus thought about you when he's coming up out of the ground and he's taking captivity captive and he's going to sit on the throne. He's thinking of each person. He's thinking of you and the measure he wants to give you in the place he has in his body thousands of years in in the future. And he gives you just the measure that you need to fit the part that he has for you. Amen. Hallelujah. Right? So good. All right. So he gave the measure. Um, and it's like this. It's, I think it's like a basketball team. You can put that one up there, Rich. When a coach picks out a basketball team, he can't have all giant centers. He can't have a bunch of Shaquille O'Neal's standing on the court. What's going to happen? They're going to get dominated <laughs> because they're too slow. They're too, they, they can't do the job that they're supposed to do. A good coach is going to think through every little piece of the puzzle. So they're going to find a point guard. They're going to find a shooting guard. They're going to find a small forward. They're going to find a power forward. They're going to find a center. And they understand that a great team cannot become champions unless the whole team is there, every person fulfilling their role on the team and doing their piece of the game. That's how you win championships. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing when he distributed these gifts. He said, okay, I need some to do this, some to do that, some to do that. And when they all play together, that's when the kingdom comes. All right. Jesus has a very specific piece, a very specific measure just for you. And we need to, today's message is all about you taking time to ask Jesus and find out from him, what measure did you give me? Because I want to be a part of the bigger picture. So what measure did you put inside of me and how can I operate out of that measure? Okay? So unfortunately, the majority of the church in America thinks that the one to two hours, oh, sorry, last page here. How did that happen? All right. I should have measured my pages. Let's try this. Yep. We are his body. 
And we are all connected together by him. He provides everything we need collectively and individually to be able to grow and become everything he desires his body to be. So Jesus gives what we need for growth because Jesus is, get this, Jesus is a bodybuilder. Did you know that Jesus is a bodybuilder? All of this, he gave all these gifts because he wants to grow his body. He wants to strengthen his body. He wants his body to be strong and amazing and to be able to do whatever crazy feats come into his mind. Have you ever seen these people on Facebook, these videos, these people are awesome videos, and they do the most insane things with their bodies? They're like walking down huge statues on a handstand or a huge escalator, or they take bikes and they jump over giant buildings, or they lift people with, like, they're bench-pressing people. Like, all these crazy, weird things that it's just amazing when people work out and when people apply themselves, the crazy things that come in their mind, they're able to physically do because they've trained all of their body to be able to handle the little tiny piece of the puzzle that's going to be needed for that thing to be to happen, all right? So have you ever seen this guy, um, he, he stands on two chairs, and he does the splits on two chairs, and it opens up, and he's lifting above his head at the same time. Anybody raise your hand? Okay, Rachel, let's, let's watch this guy. <laughs> He's going backwards. All right. And then he does another one. This guy's so weird. He does another one. Show the next one. <laughs> Why? We have no idea why, but this is what he does with his time, okay? So, thank you. Jesus is a bodybuilder. Say it with me. Jesus is a bodybuilder. This guy, he spends all of his days working out like crazy so that he can do the most ridiculous things that come to his mind, and he gets paid money by making these videos. That's his full-time job is to work out to make sure his whole body is in shape to be able to handle whatever crazy idea comes to his mind. Do you know that Jesus has big, crazy ideas for his body across the globe? Is that right? He has crazy ideas, but unfortunately, much of his body is atrophied and not strong enough to carry the load when the time comes for him to do these crazy things. So then he thinks, I'm going to go try to end uh, abortion or to stop slavery or to stop whatever it is, and much of his body is physically unable to do the thing that's in Jesus' heart. And it's sad. It's sad. But this is why it's so important that we pay attention. Okay, Jesus, I want to be a part of the big body. What is my little piece? What can I work out? Because I want to get really good at my little piece so that when the time comes, whatever crazy dream you want to do, yes and amen from me, and we're going to make it happen together. Amen? So Jesus wants his body to be fully capable of handling the load when the time comes to do great and mighty feats for his dad on the earth. And this is why he distributed gifts to everybody, so that his body would be equipped and able to do these things. (coughs) The body of Christ needs to work out more. We need to utilize our giftings. We need to know what they are and why he gave them to us and how to use them when he calls us to use them together. Don't you want to be a part of accomplishing his dreams on the earth? So then we need to focus on building up his body to become all that he dreams of it becoming. Amen? All right. Next piece of the puzzle is that Jesus led captivity captive. All right? 
for a long time, I didn't have a clue what this meant. <laughs> and then finally somebody taught it to me, and I was like, oh, that's beautiful. So um, here's what it means when Jesus leads captivity captive. Briefly, it means that Jesus, before he died on the cross, it's my understanding that those who came before Jesus and loved God and honored God, they still had sin. The blood of Jesus had not been shed yet. They still had sin. But they were righteous in God's eyes because of their faith, because they believed in the coming Savior whose blood would wash them away because they understood what the Lord was teaching them. And so those people who died before Jesus came, whenever they died, they went to a holding place inside the earth. And that holding place was paradise. That holding place was also called Abraham's bosom. And Abraham was there with these people, and it was peaceful. It was cool. It was calm. It was beautiful. It was amazing. But it was a holding place waiting for them to be released, to be able to go and be with God in heaven where there is no sin. So they had to wait for the blood of Jesus to be shed so that they could then go be with Jesus. Jesus himself talks about this place a couple times in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. It talks about the rich man who was a wicked guy on the earth. And then Lazarus, who was a righteous man, but he was very poor on the earth. They both die. When they die, Lazarus is taken by the angels to Abraham's book. And then when the rich man dies, he's taken to Hades. And the two of them see each other in each of these places. And the rich man reaches out to Lazarus from across a very, very long distance in a very large chasm that Jesus talks about. And he says, Lazarus, please, I'm dying over here. It's so hot. The flames, it's too much for me to bear. Please just dip your finger in the water and touch it to my tongue. And Abraham himself is nearby and steps up. And Abraham speaks to the rich man who's in Hades. And he says, can't you see there is a giant chasm that has been fixed and is eternal. No man can pass. Okay. Then Jesus talks about it again whenever he's on the cross. And he reaches over to the thief and he, and the, the, he says to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus was in the belly of the earth three days, just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days. So on that day, when Jesus speaks to paradise, to being today, Jesus goes down into paradise, Abraham's bosom, to all of these people. He goes there, and then Revelations talks about Jesus taking the keys of death and of Hades away from Satan, and Jesus now holds those keys. When he dies and he goes down into the ground, he's got the keys of death and Hades, and he takes captivity captive with himself up into the earth. And when he goes up on that third day, he ascends on that third day, he's bringing captivity captive, and on his way to heaven, he's thinking of you. And he distributes gifts to men so his body can be everything that it's supposed to be. Amen? So he gave gifts. This word gave, it is a one-time, forever, final thing. Jesus did not lend out his gifts. Jesus did not uh, give you a gift like a library book and say, hey, bring it back in a week. As soon as, it's, as, soon as the church is established, got to give it back, okay? No, he gave his gifts once and for all, a final doing, which means that those gifts are continuing all the way. They're a forever gift until his body becomes everything it's supposed to be. The next thing is that he gave his gifts for three reasons and three purposes. Are you ready for them? All right, here's what they are. He gave them for the perfecting of the saints. Say perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of Jesus' body. 
These are the reasons he gave his gifts. All right, so the first one is for the perfecting of the saints. The word perfecting in the Greek, according to Strong's, it means a complete furnishing or a complete equipping. And I love this. So I think of a complete furnishing. I think of house decor and house staging. Nobody's better in the world than Joanna Gaines. When you watch that show and she goes in, the house is finished, and she just makes it perfect in every single way. It is a complete furnishing. It simply could not be any better, right? So when Jesus gave his gifts, he gave us these gifts for his body to just be like just perfect. Everything they need to be just right to do the work that they're supposed to do. A complete and full equipping. Everything his body needs, that's what this is for. These gifts allow us to do everything that he wants us to do. Second thing, for the work of the ministry. The word work in Greek means business, employment, occupation, an undertaking, industry, act or deed, and a working towards a goal. So it's work, moving together, doing things together. The second piece, work of ministry. The word ministry in the Greek, I love this. It means to aid. It means to serve. It means to be a servant. And then ultimately, the word ministry very simply means the one who executes the commands of another. Say ministry is the one who executes the commands of another. And in this case, King Jesus and his commands and what he wants for us. So if you want to be in ministry, what that simply means is that you are saying yes to be a servant and to lay your life down, to be tread upon, to be spit on, to be stomped on, to do whatever your boss wants you to do. Amen? That is the work of ministry, is serving King Jesus. The third thing is for edifying Jesus' body. Edifying in Greek, it refers to architecture. It refers to structure. It refers to buildings. So it's the act of building. And again, the living stones, piecing together all these parts, right? So Jesus is the head and supplies all that's needed for growth. And unfortunately, the majority of the church in America thinks that the one to two hours they spend on Sundays is church. And that's all the workout they need to be all that Jesus dreams of them becoming. Say, oh, no. Say, uh-uh. Say, ain't true. <laughs> So we think that the one to two hours on Sundays is all that we need to become all that Jesus has for us. But it's just very simply not true. From my perspective, the one to two hours we spend on Sundays is the tiniest piece of the puzzle. It, it's like if I went to CrossFit over here, a couple doors down. And, I, and I'm like, man, I'm psyched. I'm going to work out hard today. I can't wait, man. I'm going to get in so much good shape. This is awesome. And I go into CrossFit, and there's all these crazy people working out hard. And I walk in, and I'm like high-fiving everybody. Yeah, I'm going to get fit today. Woo, yeah. I'm all psyched up, right? And they're like, whoa, who's this crazy one up in this CrossFit gym? So then the instructor comes to the front. He says, hey, guys, welcome. Uh, today's going to be a great workout. Corporate has sent us the workout of the day. So I don't know if you know, but in CrossFit, every day a workout is sent in advance, and it's sent by the governing body. They decide today's workout is going to be this. And across the whole nation, everybody's doing these workout of the days, okay? And so they say, you know, corporate, send us workout of the day. Here it is, and they go right up on the board what it's going to be. And then the instructor gives you a few points, uh, a few tips. Hey, when you're lifting this, be careful not to do this. We're going to do this many sets. We're going to rest for this long. It just gives you some pointers. And you're like, yeah, awesome, all right, woo, yeah, all right, okay, cool. And he's like, all right, guys, ready, let's get started. 
and then he walks off. And then you're like, yeah, that was a great workout. Yeah, I'm out of here. Woo. And you leave. And all your new friends at the CrossFit gym are like, uh, I think you missed the point. See, I went in thinking I worked out just by watching the instructor tell me what to do. But that was just the very beginning of the workout. Just very simply the explanation of what in the world the corporate people are telling us to do today. The Church of America thinks this way. We think, oh, we come in on Sundays and we, we watch the instructional video of what the corporate is speaking to the church at large and what's on his heart and what does he want to do and what does he want to strengthen at that time. And then we leave church and we think we worked out. We did not work out at all. Like, this is just the beginning. And so when I think of the gifts, I think they have so much more to do with the big picture of the body of Christ than they do with what happens in our one to two hours inside the four walls of the church. I mean, of course, they have a place and, and they're needed inside the four walls. But that is not the purpose of the fivefold giftings that Jesus gave himself so that his body can become everything it's supposed to be. That is not what it's there for. So it's my opinion that these fivefold giftings that Jesus gave his body don't have that much to do with what happens inside the four walls, though it's certainly a part. But I think they're much more about our personalities, our life callings, and where our eternal fruit will ultimately come from than anything else. And it's more about who you are and how you think and how you function than it is anything else. And then it's a fun journey. After you begin to learn those things, you get to journey with Jesus to decide what you are to do with that personality, with that DNA, with that gifting, with that life calling that Jesus gave to you. I believe that Jesus' body, it's not defined by what happens inside the four walls of the church uh, or our time spent at church. I believe that the body of Christ is much more grand than that. It's much more of a living organism. It's much more of a family. It's much more of a body with many millions of moving parts, all supplied by the lifeblood of Jesus himself and organized by the thoughts of King Jesus himself. So the next few weeks, the question on the table is how fit are you? And what practically, how do you build up Jesus' body so that he can do the things that he dreams of doing? There's three pieces of it. I think one piece is accepting the gift that he gave you and recognizing when he created me from birth, he put this measure of this gift inside of me for a reason. And it has a little bit to do with what happens on Sundays. It has a lot to do with all the rest of my life. And then it has to do with getting good in that gift and with your gift and then it has to do with learning to function in your gifting as a team inside of his body at large. And I think it's important to recognize this point before we jump into what the fivefold gifts are. If we think the fivefold gifts are primarily for Sunday mornings, then we'll be sorely mistaken and disappointed. But if we realize it's a much greater thing and much more fun and exciting thing, then we're going to find new life and find new vision that we've never had before. We're going to find purpose. We're going to find energy. We'll find callings and passions that Jesus himself put inside of us in order to fulfill the dreams on his heart for thousands and thousands of years. That will only be accomplished as we take our place in his body, utilizing the unique gifts that he gave each and every single one of us. Amen? Amen. So that's what the next couple weeks are going to be. But before we get there, I want us to hit pause and take time and just begin to 
cultivate the ground of your heart to say, Jesus, I recognize that you gave me specific giftings out of the fivefold giftings with specific measures for specific things that you want to do. So then come and show me over the next few weeks what exactly did you put inside of me and why, and then what am I supposed to do with that with all of my life. Amen? All right, let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your giftings. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness. And we wholeheartedly say yes and amen to what you want to do in us. Help us to become a powerful piece of the body of Christ so that you can do whatever crazy things you think of. And and we are capable of handling those things when you call us. In Jesus' name. And all the people said amen. Amen, amen. amen. All right, you guys. I love you all. Have an amazing, amazing week.